Hi, my name is Anna Self, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. You know, these, these two songs perfectly set the stage for our talk today because the motivation from this talk comes from the fact that there are some of us in this room and there are the majority of people outside this room don't know that there's a place of freedom found in Jesus. The motivation comes from the fact that a lot of us in this room and most people outside of this room cannot authentically say, it is well with my soul. So I pray that today as we hear from God and Jesus speaks to us, that some of us who walked in today without peace will be able to walk out saying, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you and it is well with me. So Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us through your word? And Jesus, I pray for people who walked into this place today in oppression and bondage, that they would find a place of freedom in you. Jesus, for somebody that walked in today absent of peace, that they would walk out saying, it is well with my soul. And Jesus, I ask that this message, this hope, this peace that you offer would extend far outside this room to our places of influence. So people who have not yet stepped foot on this campus would encounter you and join us as we declare that it is well with me. So Jesus, we're leaning into you. We ask that you speak to us and change us. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. I'm so excited today as we're continuing our series called A Public Story. So if you're a guest or a regular who missed last week, we're in part two of a three-part series called A Public Story. And since we're talking about stories, have some news I wanna share with you guys. Cody Disney is our worship pastor, and he and his wife, Hannah Disney, had a beautiful baby girl this week, Annie Disney. Isn't she adorable? It's amazing. Yes. So there were some complications and it was a tough week for Cody and Hannah. And so Cody just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the countless prayers and encouragement throughout this process. They're just blown away by the love of God that's been revealed to them through this. And they wanted you guys to know everyone is good now. So keep praying and praise God that both Hannah and Annie are good. And they just want to say thank you for their support. So last week in our series, we focused on the idea that we can never forget where we came from. We focused on our past, essentially. So what we want to do this week is we want to look forward. See, in order to understand where we currently are and where we're going, we have to know where we came from. And so now we're going to shift our focus and move forward from there. So if you missed last week, you can check out our podcast either through our website or on our app and you can catch up with us. But to make sure we're on the same page, there's one thing that we all need to know. If we were to simplify a public story to three words, the three words are this, Jesus changes everything. Can we read those together? Jesus changes everything. Jesus is the main attraction here. He is the star of our story. And as Hannah said during hosting, there is a role for all of us in a public store, but we need to understand that as we find our place, Jesus is the star and we are just role players who serve to point people to him. Why is that? Because you don't change everything and I don't change everything, but Jesus changes everything. So as we assess where we currently are and we talk about our future, we need to take our cues 
from him. In fact, one of our core values leads us to do just that. It's gonna be on the screen, and I wanna invite us to all read this together. Ready, go. We pattern our lives after Jesus by weaving him into our every moment. See, if we're gonna assess where we currently are, in order to know where we're going, we must look to Jesus as our pattern, and we must take our cues from him. And so we're going to do that by looking at a story in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, I invite you to turn or click over there. As you're doing that, some of you may have heard this story several times. Others may never have heard it. But wherever you're at on that spectrum, let's come to hear from Jesus with anticipation. Because if we do that, the first two verses might actually be shocking to us. So we'll be in Luke 15, verse 1, and it's also going to be on the screen. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So who are the tax collectors and sinners? Well, the tax collectors collect taxes. It's a really creative name that they've been given. But not only do they collect taxes, they also rip people off. They don't just come to your house and take your taxes. They take a little bit more and skim off the top for them. So these guys are getting wealthy off of the common people. That means that all the common people pretty much hate tax collectors and consider them the scum of the earth. And then sinners are people who have been placed in a category of far from God. And in some contexts, sinner has the connotation of a social outcast who is outside of a religious culture. So who are the tax collectors and sinners? To put it simply, they are people who are considered far from God and far outside the religious culture. Now what's interesting is the location of these people. See, it says that they were drawing near to hear Jesus. So these people are considered far from God and far outside the religious culture. They're actually around Jesus. And so we notice how Jesus responded by the criticism that's going to be leveraged at him from the Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees and scribes are the religious leaders of the day. They're the insiders who thought they determined and they decided who was close to God and they determined the religious culture. That's what they thought about themselves. So here's the criticism in verse 2. So the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. To keep it on the screen for just a second, receive sinners. That word means welcome sinners. So they're criticizing Jesus because he welcomes sinners, and then it gets worse. He not only welcomes them, he eats with them. That implies association, or in our terms, that means he develops a relationship with them. So here we see Jesus, the beginning of this story. And people who were considered far from God liked Jesus. People who were outside the current religious culture were attracted to Jesus. And here's the real kicker. He liked them back. The criticism was leveraged because he actually liked them back. As they were drawn to him, Jesus was found welcoming them and building relationships with them. That's what the first two verses of Luke 15 say. And to really understand what's going on, we need to lean into the context. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read in Luke 14, but if sometime this week you want to go read in Luke 14, 23 through 33, what Jesus does is he establishes his standard. And just to summarize it, here's what his standard is. Jesus says that if we want to follow him, we must be willing to give up some things 
just a couple things, one day a week. No, no, no. Jesus said if we want to follow him, we must be willing to give up everything. We must surrender control of our lives to him and make him the priority of our lives. See, Jesus wasn't lowering the standard. He was speaking truth. What's happening is people far from God and people outside the religious culture are being drawn to Jesus even while he's laying out the standard of surrender. This is the pattern of Jesus. So before we talk about our future, we need to assess where we are. So I'm gonna talk directly to Jesus followers in the room for just a moment. So if you're not a Jesus follower, you can kick back, relax, check Instagram if you want to, and you can just cheer on when I say something that you want your Jesus following friends to do. So here's the thing. If you are a Jesus follower in the room, is what was happening in these verses to Jesus happening to you? Is what was happening in Luke 15, one and two to Jesus happening to you? In other words, are people far from God, do they like you? Are people outside the religious culture attracted to you? Now, just to make sure we're on the same page, they're not really attracted to us because it's not us they need. What they need is Jesus in us. And if Jesus is our pattern, and if he lives inside of us, then what was true of Jesus should be true of us, right? What was true of Jesus should be true of us. And here's what was true of Jesus. People far from God and people outside the religious culture were attracted to him. So is that true of us? Are people drawn to us because Jesus is our pattern and he lives inside of us? So let's put it this way. Could we take public church and insert it into Luke 15, one and two, and it'd be a true statement? Could we say, now people far from God and people outside the religious culture were all drawing near to public church and the religious leaders grumbled saying, public church welcomes sinners and builds relationships with them. Can it be said of your life, of my life? Could I say, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Todd. And the religious leaders grumbled saying, Todd receives, he welcomes sinners and builds relationships with them. Can this be said of our church? And can this be said of us as individuals? And look, this isn't a personality thing. This isn't a charisma thing. This is a Jesus changes everything thing. That people were attracted to Jesus and they should be attracted to Jesus in us. Because here's the alternative. We repel them. See, we gotta ask the question to assess where we are. Do we attract or repel people from Jesus? Do we attract people to Jesus or do we repel them from Jesus? Because in this story, there's a group that repels. They're the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders who thought they decided who was close to God and they determined the religious culture. And I know that no human decides who is close to God, but they had given themselves this role. And as a result, they were critical and judgmental as they looked at others' lives and said, you're close to God and you're far from God and you're an outcast in the religious culture and you fit inside the box. And look, we could take a whole talk and discuss this idea of attract or repel, and I hope that at some point God allows me to do that. But for us today, No, the people far from God were drawn to Jesus. And if we're his followers, they should be drawn to us too. And here's the crazy thing. 
Some of those people may not have even known why they were drawn to Jesus. They may not have understood why they wanted to be around him. They just knew that Jesus was intriguing, that they wanted to spend time with him. And since they knew the standard, I think that some of them were considering surrendering their lives to him. So if Jesus is our pattern, then we must have people in our lives who are not yet following Jesus. And we must have people in our church who are not yet following Jesus. People who felt judged before, people who felt labeled as sinners and outside the religious culture before. These people should be in our lives and these people should be in our church. And this idea fires me up because some of you are in this room. Some of you in this room, you just feel judged. Some of you in this room feel like you've been attached a labor, a label by churches. And there's others of you in this room that you're trying to figure out what you think about Jesus and you're just not ready to follow him yet. And I am so glad you're here. Just like Jesus, we love and welcome you and we wanna build a relationship with you. And look, you may not even know why you're here. So let me just give you a little clue. It's not us you're looking for. You may have a relationship with some of us and you may think that you're attracted to us, but you're really not attracted to us. You're attracted to Jesus in us because Jesus is the one who changes everything. So we love and welcome you. Keep coming. We want to build a relationship with you. And as you do, we're going to be clear about the standard. The standard is that Jesus demands surrender. And we hope that as you spend time with us, that you will see people who are far, far from perfect, but people who are daily being changed by Jesus and that you will see the offer that Jesus puts before you to let him change you as well. But church, church, even as we hear this, even as we read this, even as we know that there are people here who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, what they think about Jesus, not all of us are bought into this idea. When we ask the question, do we attract or repel, not all of us answer the question, attract. So in order for us to truly make Jesus our pattern, we must answer this question. Why? Why does Jesus welcome and build relationships with those outside the religious culture? And so Jesus is going to give us the answer to why, and he's going to give it through a story. So if you would, look back at Luke 15 and look at verse 3. This story contains why. It says in verse 3, so Jesus, he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, as we read this, we've got to know that Jesus is brilliant. And he's opening up this story in a way that connects with his audience. Here's what he's saying. If you look back at verse four, he's saying, hey, you guys, Think about your life. If you had 100 sheep and you lost one, what would you do? You would go seek the 99, right? See, Jesus is connecting with his audience. So in order for us to fully grasp the weight of this story, we must relate it to our everyday lives. So consider something in your life that's valuable that you don't want to lose. Something like your car keys. <laughs> something like your cell phone. And now let's be authentic for a moment. Everybody from the lobby to the front row, raise your hand if you have ever been late to work, been late to class, been late to appointment because you couldn't find your car keys. Anybody in the room? All over. Yep. 
I have. Now, we can't really get to work or school or the appointment with our car keys because we got to have our car, correct? But this next one, this next one, we could get there. We chose not to. How many of us, how many of us have ever been late to school, to work, to an appointment because we couldn't find our phone? Anybody hands up all over the room? We could have lived without it, but we chose not to, didn't we? Anybody with me on that? Now, to go a little deeper, how many of you talked yourself into the fact that you could survive the day without it, only get to get to work or school or wherever you're going, be there for about an hour and go, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Tell your boss, I'm going to the bathroom. 45 minutes later, you're back with your phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> We make these decisions. Here's the thing. If we lose something that we consider valuable, we'll change our whole schedule in order to make sure we find it. So here's what we're going to do. Take a moment with your neighbor, with somebody beside you, just exchange stories. Exchange a story about something you lost that was valuable to you and the measures you went to get it back. So talk to your neighbor. Exchange some stories. All right, you guys can be finishing up your stories. Anybody want to shout out something you lost? What? I heard some. Anybody lose a kid, parents? Anybody lost, lose a kid? You're like, I just hope my spouse doesn't find out. Yeah, you're like, don't tell my spouse. I found them. They were just in Walmart a couple aisles down. No big deal, right? <laughs> if we lose something valuable... We're going to rearrange our schedule, do whatever it takes to find it. See, we connect to Jesus' story. He's brilliant. He's got us in and emotionally connected. And the fact is that some of the things that we lose, like a phone, a car keys, we've got one set of. But imagine, and this is a stretch for some of us, imagine that you had several hundred dollar bills, okay? So you're like, wow, that would be great. So imagine if you had several hundred dollar bills and if you lost one, you would do whatever it took to find one, wouldn't you? Look, you got to be filthy rich to be like, nah, it's just $100. I don't need that. If that's your attitude, tell me where you put it. I'll look for it for you, okay? <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, the thing is, if something is valuable to us, even if we have more than one of it, we will go after it. And that's the point of the story, that every single sheep is valuable. So if the shepherd loses one, everybody knows it's normal for him to leave the 99 and go after it. So what does Jesus mean by leave the 99? See, some of you are smart and you're thinking, well, if I leave the 99 for one, then sheep aren't very smart and they're going to wander off and I'm going to be missing 99 sheep instead of one. So what does this mean? It doesn't mean that he totally abandons the 99. It likely means that he would go to another shepherd and say, hey, could you watch my 99 sheep along with your flock while I go and find the one that is lost. It simply means a shift in focus, less attention on the 99 to prioritize the one who is lost. And this makes sense to us. We do the same thing. We say it doesn't matter if we're late to work until we find our cell phone. We shift our focus away from something in our lives to find what is lost. See, Jesus' story is brilliant and we're tracking with him. And then he continues in verse five. He says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he's thrilled. And this frightened and disoriented sheep is going to be carried back to the flock. We know the relief of finding something, don't we? Yesterday, my wife lost a check. So Whitney lost a check that she'd gotten paid. And like our whole demeanor changed. It was like, oh, and she was looking for it and looking for it and looking for it. And then when she found it, it was like, 
I found the check. You know, it was just like totally changed her whole demeanor. And that's how we are, right? We feel such relief. I don't think it's a stretch to say that we feel joy when we find what we have lost. And then he goes on in the story in verse six. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. This idea of rejoice with doesn't just mean a feeling, but it literally means a celebration. This shepherd is throwing a party. He's coming back and telling his friends, and we're going to have a party because the sheep that was lost has now been found. And look, we may not throw a party just because we find our car keys, or maybe if we find a $100 bill, we're throwing a party. But we may not quite throw a party about it. We're going to tell somebody, hey, I found my kid. Just kidding. Just don't tell my spouse I ever lost my kid. But I found my cell phone. I found my keys. I found whatever it was that was lost. We want to tell someone so they can share in our joy. Jesus has told this story. He's got us hooked. He's such a good storyteller. And then he drops the bomb. Because the point isn't $100 bills or sheep or keys or cell phones. Here's the point in verse 7. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The word repents means a complete change in attitude and action that's a result of surrendering to Jesus. A complete change in attitude and action that results from surrendering to Jesus. And so the story ends by Jesus saying that God in heaven throws a party when someone who was once far from God repents and becomes a Jesus follower. So who in this verse, who are the 99 who don't need to repent? There's differing opinions, but most people think this refers to religious leaders. See, the Pharisees and scribes, they tried to do all the right things, so they did not think they needed forgiveness. They felt like they did not need grace. They acted as if they had already earned God's approval. And so in this story, Jesus is giving us insight into the very heart of God, into his very heart. And here's what he's showing us. He's showing us that the heart of God is not after arrogance. The heart of God is not after people who think they have it all together. It's not after people who are judgmental and critical. The heart of God is seeking those who were once far from him, who are outside the religious culture and throwing a party when they repent, that God is actively pursuing people who don't yet follow him. And this story is huge for us because of where we're at in our journey as a church, because of where we're at in a public story. See, this, this account in Jesus's life reminds us of a trap that we could very easily fall into. And here's the trap. At this point in our journey as a church, we could become so consumed with who's here that we forget about those who aren't. And that's a trap. We could become inwardly focused instead of thinking about the people who aren't yet here. And that's why we started with Luke 15, one and two to ask, are people who are far from God and outside the religious culture, are they in our lives? Are we welcoming them and building relationships with them? Because this is a trap that we simply cannot ignore. 
Our original lead pastor, his name's Jamie Wirt. He was with us for the relaunch of our 530 gathering a few weeks ago when we started it back. And just to give you some insight into Jamie, if you don't know him, Jamie retired from being the lead pastor of the church that planted us in order to relocate with his wife to the Middle East to serve Jesus there. That's not your typical retirement, is it? And so at that 530 gathering, I was able to interview Jamie and I just asked him this, Jamie, you have over 30 years of ministry experience. What piece of advice do you have for our church at this point in our journey? And he said this, be careful that you don't let the focus drift inward, but always remember those who aren't yet here. See, here's what Jamie knew that if we just let things play out naturally, the natural drift is inward. That we'll become consumed with who's here and we'll forget about those who aren't. And I think Jamie's words carry weight because he's someone who's spending his retired years seeking after the lost sheep in the Middle East who don't yet follow Jesus. I think he deserves our attention. See, this is a trap that we could so easily fall into but we've got to stay out of. So how do we do that? We go back to our vision. One of the things I love about our vision is that our vision makes us have an inward and outward focus. Our vision statement is gonna be on the screen. I wanna invite us to all read it together. Ready, go. Develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. Now, quick English lesson. I don't wanna hurt your head, but there are two verbs in the active tense in this vision statement. Anybody know what they are? You're gonna shout it out. Develop, invite. Okay, there may be more. Yeah, but just develop. <laughs> we're gonna relook at that for the 530. But there's two big ones that we're looking at for this. Sorry, failed English lesson. The two big ones. That was awesome. All right, so we'll fix that in the 530. The two big ones are develop and invite. Inward and outward. So here's what our vision leads us to do. We develop those who are here and invite those who aren't. We develop those who are here and invite those who aren't. So if you've been coming, if you're here, if you're a regular and you're part of our family, we are actively trying to develop you to become a public church. That's the whole point of next week. We have an opportunity to sign up as part of public teams or to sign up in a public group. It's so that you can step into your role in a public story and we can help develop you to be the church that Jesus wants us to be. And if for those who aren't yet here, we have an equally important task that we wanna invite them to come here. See, developing is huge, but we cannot get satisfied with who is here when there are literally thousands of people in our city who don't know that there's a place of freedom found in Jesus. There are thousands of people in our city who cannot say, it is well with my soul. And if we are to broaden that out to global, that number goes from thousands to billions. So we cannot get consumed with who's here when there are billions of people who need the hope and the love and the freedom that Jesus offers all around our world. So do you really believe that Jesus changes everything? Do you really believe that Jesus changes everything? Because if so, we will invite people to embrace the journey of following Jesus by welcoming people who are far from God and building relationships with them. We will make Jesus 
our pattern. So consider the pattern of Jesus outside this particular story. One day he met a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. We know that means he was hated and he'd ripped the people off and made his wealth that way. But when the people rejected Zacchaeus, Jesus ate with them. When the people rejected Zacchaeus, Jesus ate with them. And Zacchaeus was forever changed through an authentic relationship with Jesus. See, what happened is over a meal, Zacchaeus repented. He had a complete change in attitude and action because he surrendered to Jesus. And towards the end of that meal, here's what he told Jesus. He said, I am gonna give away half of all my possessions to the poor, and I'm gonna restore four times as much as I stole from everybody that I defrauded. Jesus was seeking the lost sheep. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he was surrounded by two thieves. Jesus was an innocent man suffering on the cross. He was surrounded by two thieves. One of those thieves was self-admittedly guilty. He said, look, I deserve this cruel type of execution called the cross, but Jesus, you're innocent. This thief was condemned and he was forgotten. And when nobody cared about the condemned thief on the cross, Jesus noticed him and made time for him. See, on the cross that day, this thief surrendered to Jesus as he was dying. And Jesus forgave him and welcomed him into the family of God. See, even as he was dying, Jesus was actively pursuing the lost sheep. He was seeking the one. And then there's a man in history named Saul. This man was literally a terrorist. This guy hunted down and killed Jesus' followers. And when most everybody said, to hell with Saul, and I don't mean that offensively, I mean that literally. People who knew Saul were ready for him to die and go to hell because he was making life miserable for Jesus' followers. When people said to hell with Saul, Jesus pursued him. Jesus sought after this terrorist and the terrorist repented. He had a complete change of attitude and action as a result of surrendering to Jesus. Paul goes on to start many, many churches. He writes almost half of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And if you're here today and you're not a Jew, we are here largely because of the work of Paul that first took the story of Jesus to people who weren't Jewish. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of Jesus. That Jesus always saw the one who wasn't here. The one who is outside the religious culture. The one who didn't have hope. The one whom everyone else overlooked. And he left the 99 to go find them. He made it a priority to pursue them. And as Jesus tells his story, he gets us emotionally involved. He gets his audience connected saying, yeah, I would do that for sheep. And he gets us thinking, I would do that for possessions. But do we have this attitude for people? We will totally rearrange our day to find a possession that we have lost, but will we rearrange our lives to pursue people who are lost from God? And the only way for us to have this attitude is for us to see God's heart in this story. So one more attempt to help us do that. I've actually invited a special guest today. Are there any pet lovers in the room? Anybody love dogs? I love dogs. Okay, well, I have a special guest that's going to help illustrate this. Our guest will be here in just a minute. Are you here, Stella? 
Stella. Stella, come on up here. <laughs> Here's Stella. Hey, come here. You're good. You want to come on stage? Woo! Yeah. Thank you. So here's Stella. All right. She's the closest thing I could find to a sheep, guys. This is the closest. I'm going to turn her around so we can get a good look at her. All right. She likes to be held like this, I promise. Okay? So here's the thing. Just as I was so happy to see her and picked her up and want to carry her, this is the attitude that Jesus has towards us. See, in verse 5, he says that the shepherd, when he finds the sheep, he embraces the sheep. He carries the sheep home with him to make sure that the sheep gets back. So this is just a little glimpse, a really cute glimpse, into God's heart for us. Can you guys say, good job to Stella? Get a little pat in. You can pet her. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. We'll come through here. All right, you're going to go with Cameron. There you go. I don't even think she peed on me. That's a pretty good accomplishment. Now, maybe, maybe you don't really like dogs, but know that this is just a small glimpse, a small glimpse of Jesus's heart for us. Just as we, if I lost Stella, I would be just thrilled to find her. That's God's heart towards those of you who are far from him. That if you don't yet follow Jesus, he's waiting for you. And he longs to just pick you up and embrace you and to look to heaven and say, strike the music, let's get the party going. Because someone who is far from God has now returned home. So what do we do with this? How does this impact our everyday lives? And how does this impact our future? It impacts us through this strategy. We want to always make room for one more. If we are really going to reflect the heart of God, if Jesus is going to be our pattern and we see the pattern in the story, then we need to always make room for one more. See, since our Jesus pursues people who don't yet follow him, since our Jesus embraces those who were once lost but now have been found by him, since Jesus throws a party in heaven when someone repents or surrenders to him, then we must invite one more, pursue one more, and always make room for one more. This will keep us outwardly focused and help us avoid the trap. And it begins with community groups. Community groups are families that meet in homes throughout the week for the purpose of studying the word of God together and growing in what it means to follow Jesus together. And community groups are an integral part of what we do, but the trap is right there in community groups because it's really easy for community groups to become inward focused and to lose sight of who's not there. So in our community groups, will we always make room for one more? We will always invite those who aren't yet here. See, our leadership, we would love to see the amount of community groups double because so many people are coming to them. But here's the key to that. Some of you in this room need to step up and lead one. Some of you in this room know deep in your heart that the way that you can make room for one more is to say, I will lead a community group. So would you step up? Would you go to your current community group leader this week, maybe send them a text right now and say, look, I need to help make room for one more and I need to get ready 
to lead a community group when ours is big enough to multiply? Will we always make room for one more in our community groups? And this extends to our mentoring groups. We want to see more and more and more people be mentored. But again, we need people willing to lead them. And guess what? We give you a tool. The Public Disciples Booklet is a tool that empowers you to lead a mentoring group. So some of you in this room, would you step up and say, I will make room for one more by leading a mentoring group. I will follow the pattern of Jesus by seeking those who aren't yet being invested in, and I will invest in them. See, the pattern of Jesus demonstrates that true life change occurs through authentic relationships. So we've got to make room in community groups and mentoring groups for more and more and more authentic relationships to grow and deepen. And this also extends to our gatherings. We've got to take this attitude that we always make room for one more in our gatherings. Now look around. You should probably go, you're a hypocrite about now, okay? We've got people in the lobby. We're packed in. It looks like we don't have room for one more, doesn't it? So what are we going to do? Well, one thing is we brought a camera in this week. We worked with a local company to rent a camera so that people in the lobby could actually see what's going on in the stage. And that's not a long-term fix, but we're trying to even right now in the short term, make room for one more. Another way this strategy plays out is through our 5.30 gatherings. If you don't know, we also meet at 5.30 and it's the exact same gathering. This is a huge part of the strategy. And this is why we consistently ask those of you who are regulars to consider making a sacrifice and rearranging your schedule to sleep in for Jesus. Everybody likes to sleep in and come to the 530. Look, we know. We know that some of you can't do that. But if you can, if you just open up one seat, you're making room for one more. Just like Jesus in the story where he says, hey, I'm not satisfied with the 99. I'm going after one more. So one thing that we say a lot about the 530, and we're going to keep saying it, is that when we make room for people, we create opportunities for Jesus to change lives. That when we make room for people, we create opportunities for Jesus to change lives. So maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've blown it off before. But today, we've got a glimpse of the very heart of God, the pattern of Jesus. So would you not blow it off this time? Would you consider making a sacrifice and rearranging your schedule to open up a seat for someone in the morning? And in case you don't realize it, Jesus is changing lives through our gatherings. Our gatherings are a special, life-changing environment. So when we make room for people, we really do create opportunities for Jesus to change lives. If you don't believe me, you can go to our website, publicchurch.com, and you can watch the video from last week about Jade Morgan, someone who started off and she just came to gatherings. But as she came, then she took the next step and she began to get connected and begin to serve. And Jesus has been changing her. And now Jade is leading a community group and she's an integral part of our Flourish vision team. Check out, keep watching the video and check out the story of John Bros. John Bros started off and he was just coming to a gathering. That's all he was doing is just coming and just coming. But he began to get involved. He actually got baptized. He began to get connected. He began to serve. His son saw him get baptized. And over time, Jesus changed John so much that today he's an elder for us. 
And just over two weeks ago, John walked into elders meeting and he said, hey guys, a couple nights ago, my wife and I led our oldest son, Raider, to surrender his life to Jesus. And heaven threw a party when Raider surrendered to Jesus. And here's the thing, Raider surrendering to Jesus began by John sitting in an environment just like this. When we make room for people, we really do create opportunities for Jesus to change lives. So what does this mean long-term? It means that eventually we're gonna have to go to four gatherings, but we need a longer-term solution even for that because if you've got kids, you know that we're running out of space upstairs, Sprouts is overflowing, and we wanna have the attitude that we always make room for one more child as well. So in the future, we're gonna make room for one more by building. And our vision and our strategies compel us to build. Because here's the thing, if we spotlight the life-changing power of Jesus, he'll continue to change lives. If we invite people to come into an environment they love and experience Jesus here, then they're gonna come. If we're always making room for one more, then Jesus is gonna fill up our space even more. If we refuse to settle for who's coming, but always seek those who aren't, then we gotta build. And we will never say we're full and turn people away. That is not the heart of God and that will not be the heart of our church. But we will always seek to make room for one more. So we've gotta have a bigger space, look around people. We're packed out. So here's what that means for us. If you've been around from the beginning, you may think, was this a departure from the vision of replication? No, no, no. It's not a departure from the vision of replication. This is an expansion. See, a former terrorist named Paul, in Ephesians 3.20, he wrote this. He said, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine through his power at work within us. See, reality is God's doing more than we thought he would. I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't see this happening because God's plans are always bigger and better than ours. So we have an opportunity to not replicate within Cleveland, but God is giving us an opportunity to even this year replicate outside of Cleveland through our Athens team. We have people in our church who are actively trying to plant a church in Athens, Tennessee. And as we as a church partner with and support the vision of Todd and Michelle Humber that God has given them to reach one more in Athens, then we get to replicate and make room for one more in a city just up the road. See, a building here, more infrastructure here, allows us to replicate elsewhere and reach people there. So the vision is to build here. And then as we have a building here and as we replicate and have more infrastructure here, then to support more church plants in other cities and have campuses in other cities because who are we to limit the plans of God? We serve a God who says, go find the lost sheep. Have an outward focus. Welcome and build relationships with people who are far from God. And then when people surrender to Jesus, throw the best possible party around. This is the heart of our God. And look, we don't know how we're gonna get there, but Jesus does. And we're just gonna follow him one step at a time. And I know it's impactful for us to cast the vision that we're gonna be talking about building and so some of us may leave here and talk about that, but here's the challenge for us. If all we talk about is the fact that we're gonna build, then we've missed the point. 
The point isn't a new building. The point is people. The point is that whatever environment we're in, community groups, mentoring groups, gatherings, we always make room for one more because that's the pattern that Jesus set. See, the driving force is this statement. Everyone has a story, but Jesus isn't in everyone's story. Everyone has a story, but Jesus isn't in everyone's story. So we want to do all we can through every resource that we have to invite people to let Jesus take over their story. So if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, that's our heart for you. The invitation is, would you let Jesus take over your story? Would you surrender to the God who's just waiting on you to come to him and he's gonna just embrace you with all he's got and cue the music and start the party in heaven when you surrender? And if you wanna do that today, then all you gotta do is just pray and tell Jesus your heart. Just say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Jesus, would you... Give me a relationship with God that I need, but I don't deserve. Jesus, would you rescue me from myself? And it's not about those specific words. It's about your heart. It's about repentance. Saying, Jesus, you take control and you change my attitude and my actions. And so if you do that, all we ask is that you tell us so we can start the party with you. We want to join heaven in the party today. And for those of us who are here and we're already Jesus followers, how are we going to make room for one more? If we, all, if we go all the way back to Luke 15, 1 and 2, are we following the pattern of Jesus? Are people far from God and people outside the religious culture, are they in our lives? And are we welcoming them and building relationships with them? Are we making sacrifices with our schedule and getting uncomfortable so that we can make room for one more person to be changed by Jesus? And if not, why not? That's his pattern. So could we just say, Jesus, show us how to follow your pattern. So the band's gonna come up and they're gonna lead us in a song that is about the character of God. And so these next few moments, this is an opportunity for each of us to reflect on the action that God is leading us to take. So if you need to talk to someone about surrendering your life to Jesus, or you just have questions and want somebody to pray with you. We have leaders from the refuge room who'll be underneath the exit sign right over here, and they would love to pray with you and talk with you. And we invite you just to stay seated in this time. If you wanna journal, if you wanna pray, or if you wanna go talk to someone from the refuge room, just take this time to ask Jesus, Jesus, how can I make room for one more? And then when you're ready, we invite you to stand and sing about the goodness of our God. So Jesus, you're incredible. Thank you so much for putting your heart on display through the story. And I pray that you would put your heart in us. For people who are far from you, who don't yet know you, would you let them see how much you love them? And would you lead them to surrender to you? And for those of us who follow you, would you show us how we can always make room for one more? We need you, Jesus, and we thank you that in everything, no matter what happens, that you are good.